The following presentation is brought to you by the Realm Network. Buzz Burbank, news and comment. Under pressure, Donald Trump backs down. This is Thursday, June 21st, 2018. Thank you very much for your time and for supporting this independent news through the links from my sponsors and through the PayPal donate button at buzzburbank.com. Over the past week, an arsonist set fire to your house, tried to put it out, and then tried to take the credit for trying to put out the fire he started. There is no law that requires taking children away from their parents when families enter this country without papers. There is no law. So when any member of the Trump administration said they were just enforcing the law, they were lying from the president on down. They never showed us the law to which they referred because there is no such law. When Trump himself said it was up to Democrats to fix the law, he compounded his lie. There is and was no such law, only an order from Trump's attorney general. And as much as any lie this president has told amid his more than half dozen lies per day, this lie had and still has heart-wrenching consequences. Toddlers ripped from their mother's arms by the thousands, stuffed into cages in shuttered big box stores and in tents in the Texas heat on U.S. military bases. 2,342 kids were taken from their parents in just five weeks, and the rate has been increasing. We snatched 46 kids a day last month. We've confiscated 67 a day this month. At that rate, we would have 30,000 other people's kids by August. Hundreds of babies were taken from their mothers and are still being stored in three so-called tender age facilities in southern Texas, and there were plans to open a fourth baby jail in Houston. And we just learned of these tender age centers barely over 24 hours ago. Before that, we had no idea where the babies were being taken. We have also learned that some of these facilities are not licensed to care for tender age children. And the government was scrambling to hire more caregivers at taxpayer expense. Doctors and lawyers who have visited these shelters found them to be clean and safe, but filled with kids who were hysterical over being kept from their parents. There is no law requiring this. There is no law authorizing this. It's a policy implemented by Jeff Sessions a little over six weeks ago. A policy Sessions said is aimed at sending a message to other immigrant families not to come to America or we'll take your kids. Sessions cited the Judeo-Christian Bible as justification for his policy. We'll get back to Sessions and his Bible shortly. And Sessions' work is not through. His Justice Department is now asking the U.S. Supreme Court to allow the government to punish sanctuary cities. Sessions' efforts to cut off law enforcement cash for cities that shield immigrants have been shot down in lower courts. Homeland Security Secretary Kirsten Nielsen heaped lie upon lie by tweeting, We do not have a policy of separating families at the border, period. Nielsen also admitted to reporters she hadn't seen the video shot by her own people or heard the recording of the children crying for their mommies and daddies and aunties. She called the reports by journalists who have seen the tents and the cages irresponsible, even though her department issued a news release on Friday saying it would separate children from their families. Quoting that news release, children whose parents are referred for prosecution will be placed with the Department of Health and Human Services. Don't believe the press, said Nielsen because that's the world in which she and other Trump supporters live. People who entered illegally are by definition criminals, said Nielsen. That is a lie in the case of families who have come here for asylum. To cross for any other reason is 
a misdemeanor, like jaywalking. This administration did not create a policy of separating families at the border, said Nielsen. That's a lie. Jeff Sessions wrote it with Trump's encouragement. And Sessions lied about it, too, saying only Congress could fix this. Nielsen claimed that families approaching an official port of entry were not being broken apart, but those families are being turned away. Sorry, we're closed. The U.S. is telling immigrants to use the official entry points and then telling them to stay out once they arrive at those gateways. Migrants who then go around the official checkpoints are arrested and often deported while the U.S. keeps their children. And there is no administration plan for reuniting the families it has torn asunder. Over 2,300 kids are still in U.S. government custody today after being taken from their parents over the past five weeks, and there are no plans to reunite them with their families. Secretary Nielsen further compounded Trump's big lie in calling these families criminals, including the ones who've come here for asylum, which is not a crime on any level. People who come here in fear for their lives are not criminals. Like her boss, Kirsten Nielsen was also lying, and Democrats were calling for her resignation. She's lying when she says only Congress can fix this. Trump could all along fix this with his signature inside of four hours. But instead of admitting he was wrong or that he had lied, Trump dug in. With a chorus including his vice president and his homeland security secretary, Trump doubled down and swore he couldn't change it. Only Congress could. He blamed the Democrats for creating the crisis he had created. He insisted Congress fix it and then refused to endorse either Republican proposal, neither of which would have likely passed the Senate. By yesterday morning, the nation was at a boiling point over this cruelty to children. By yesterday afternoon, Trump had overplayed his hand and folded, caving to the overwhelming pressure from all but the most hateful Americans. He signed an executive order to temporarily end the so-called family separations and to detain the families together for a while. This, he said, takes care of the problem. But it created new ones. Government agencies are now scrambling to arrange housing for the revised zero-tolerance policy now that everyone caught crossing the border is being arrested. And there's a catch in Trump's executive order, several actually. The law says immigrant children could only be detained for 20 days even if it's with their families. That means at the end of 20 days, the families either have to be deported or the children have to be taken away. Still, the Trump administration is now asking a court to make detentions for all ages indefinite as it continues to arrest everyone it catches crossing the border. The court may or may not, likely won't, grant that request. In making his grand humanitarian gesture, Trump blustered with how his zero-tolerance policy would continue, and he used an executive order to save the children that he himself had torn away from their families temporarily, for 20 days. It's the same presidential power, by the way, used by Barack Obama to create the Dreamer program, a power Trump said Obama had abused, having little authority over immigration. Trump had now used that same approach to avert a crisis and executive order. Quoting Trump from just earlier this week, you can't do it through an executive order. And then he did. But as indicated, there are other problems. Obama couldn't detain families together because he lacked the legal authority to make that change. There was the same 20-day limit then as there is now. Trump's legal authority is no different than Obama's. Lawsuits have already been filed over his action. 
And Trump has already turned the policy around in a way that amounts to a confession to all of his lies. So this new executive order, will any of it stick? If it does, it's a surprising turnaround in a man who never apologizes, who claims he never settles a lawsuit and never gives in, a man who digs in until he finally backs down, as he did with the Trump University lawsuit and as he has done again with the crisis he created this week. We have also just learned, thanks to exclusive reporting by MSNBC's Rachel Maddow show, that the Pentagon has agreed to provide nearly two dozen lawyers to Jeff Sessions' Justice Department, the Pentagon. The Justice Department has requested and been granted 21 active-duty JAGs, Judge Advocates General, to act as prosecutors. Military lawyers, or JAGs, have no experience in immigration law, so they'll get what's described as brief training before they are asked to prosecute the families ensnared by Trump's zero-tolerance, everybody-gets-arrested policy. These military lawyers, paid with Defense Department dollars, were needed because the Justice Department didn't have enough of its own lawyers to carry out its zero-tolerance policy. As with the children, the Trump administration launched its crackdown without thinking it through. The military is also housing many of these children. The New York Times reports Trump was furious about the criticism he was getting for days and that for days he looked for a way out. With his words and support on those falsehoods from his people, Trump had caved to overwhelming public opposition. In the matter of the people versus Donald Trump, Trump lost. Trump had claimed that it was either his zero-tolerance policy complete with family breakups or throwing open the borders to allow a flood of new people, many of whom he characterized as thieves and killers. But within three days, Trump folded. Trump caved under the pressure from a horrified populace. This is and was a created crisis to try to get that border wall. The message certainly appeared to be, give me $25 billion for my wall and you'll get your kids back. To Trump, it's a game, a political game. Trump had tweeted, the Democrats should get together with their Republican counterparts and work something out on border security and safety. Don't wait until after the election, Trump tweeted, because you are going to lose. You are going to lose, got an exclamation point. More interest in the game than in the traumatized kids. Families torn apart by a heartless administration over the past six weeks is not what Trump was tweeting about. He was tweeting that unless Democrats caved and supported his even tougher new immigration proposals, mothers and children would continue to cry. The ones who cry and thrash too much are given drugs, as many as nine pills each morning. Teens in custody have reportedly been tied up with their own clothing and beaten. Their care centers say they were gang members, but one manager says they didn't appear to be. To Trump, it was just leverage on Congress, just politics, complete with lies and the consequences of those lies. The Democrats have to change their law, Trump told reporters in his compounded lie. That's their law, he told the press. The Trump administration had used children as hostages, demanding even harsher immigration laws and a wall. Not that it much matters, but if the goal of Trump's family-shredding policy was to reduce immigration, it didn't work. Immigration is up more than 2% since last month. The numbers of children and families asking for asylum are up by 3 and 400%. And there may be another reason for Trump's reversal. Border Patrol had run out of room to store the people it had rounded up. 
CBS News witnessed buses leaving almost hourly carrying some two dozen immigrants with their kids because Border Patrol said it had run out of room in South Texas. The immigrants were taken to a bus station and then set free. They have summonses to appear in court for their misdemeanor, and most of them won't show up. The Trump administration was now doing what it had accused the Obama administration of doing, catch and release. Father's Day this year was marked with protests over immigrant fathers who no longer know where their children are. Father's Day was as good a day as any to be heard about the cruelty of the Trump administration's zero-tolerance immigration policy. A thousand people marched from a nearby port of entry to the tent city near El Paso. Inside that compound, hundreds of children. Some had crossed the border alone, but many had been taken from their parents, all of them, to escape violence. There were protests at other facilities as well around the country. And although it's just politics to Donald Trump, it's a deeply emotional issue to almost everyone else. In an unprecedented occurrence, all of the living first ladies criticized or condemned the Trump policy of ripping children from their mother's arms, a policy Republicans hope will be forgotten by November. Rosalind Carter called it disgraceful and a shame to our country. Michelle Obama and Hillary Clinton spoke out as well. Even many Republicans were angry about the separations. Former First Lady Laura Bush called the Trump policy cruel, immoral, and heartbreaking. And Ms. Bush said Trump could, quote, stop this policy with a phone call. And she was right. Former First Lady Bush said the tent cities remind us of the Japanese internment camps of World War II, which she called one of the most shameful episodes in U.S. history. Current First Lady Melania Trump said she hated to see the separations and said we need to be a country that governs with heart. But Melania did extend her husband's lie by calling on Democrats to join Republicans in ending the separation when her husband's order could have done it in half a day. Republican Senator Susan Collins of Maine called the Trump policy contrary to our values. Texas Senator Ted Cruz said this has to stop. Even former White House Communications Chief Anthony Scaramucci weighed in, calling it an atrocious policy. 67% of us say Trump's child snatching and abuse is unacceptable, including 90% of the Democrats. More than 6 out of 10 Republicans think the kidnappings are fine or haven't taken a side. 39% of Republicans think it's a bad idea, but more than a third, 36%, think it's a great idea. Trump, who could change the policy on his own immediately, wasn't listening to the majority. He didn't listen to religious leaders. He didn't listen to the recording of children crying for their families. He listened to his base, led by former White House advisor Steve Bannon, who says Trump doesn't have to justify this zero-tolerance policy beyond pointing to what Bannon calls, quote, a crisis on the southern border. Trump didn't respond to the cries or protests. He dug in until he folded. Throwing another lie under the steaming pile of lies he's already spoken, Trump claimed that crime has soared in Germany after a wave of immigration there. That's not only untrue, it's the opposite of truth. Crime has sharply fallen in Germany. Crime in Germany is at its lowest point in 25 years, even after the waves of immigrants. Violent crime down there by more than 5% in the past year. Street crime down by nearly 9%. Property theft in Germany down by nearly 12%. Lie upon lie. To justify his heartless immigration policy, Trump said of our current immigrants, they could be murderers, thieves, and so much else. 
as he uses fear as a tool to generate hatred of those who came here to avoid being killed in their home countries. All the outrage in the world, and there is plenty, wasn't enough to stop the Trump effort. So what could stop it if public opinion could not? The law, just as it did after the outrage over Trump's Muslim ban, struck down all three versions of it. Just as it did after he tried to ban transgenders from the military, struck down by the courts. Just as he tried to force young immigrant women to carry to term pregnancies they could not handle, that was struck down by the courts. And just as he tried to cut off protection for DACA dreamers, again, struck down by the courts. Just as Trump's other outrageous, radical moves were frozen and struck down by courts, his child-snatching program could see the same result. Because the lawsuits were piling up, including one from a Guatemalan mother who is suing to get back her seven-year-old son. The judge in that case has already indicated that Trump's kidnapping policy is unconstitutional, and it appeared likely this judge would slap a nationwide injunction on the separation of families if Trump hadn't stepped in. And she may still. That judge has already called Trump's policy wrenching, brutal, offensive, unfair, and indecent, giving some indication as to how she might rule. The ACLU is suing as well, as is the state of New York, where some of the children are being warehoused. And if money talks, corporate CEOs were condemning the family shredding. Jamie Dimon at J.P. Morgan Chase joined Apple's Tim Cook in slamming the policy. All of the nation's major airlines say they will not carry children away from their families for either the Trump administration or its contractors after reports that at least one of the airlines already had. And while the Trump immigration policy was still building, also building was the resistance from our elected officials. The governors of at least a dozen states announced that they either won't send their National Guard troops to the border as Trump requested, or that they'll pull out the Guard troops they've already sent, or that they will deny the use of facilities in their states for as long as Trump kept taking babies from their mothers. And those governors include almost as many Republicans as Democrats. These governors are doing more than just stating their objection to Trump's immigration policy. They are taking action to block it. The dozen states to rip support away from Trump include Massachusetts, Colorado, New Jersey, Delaware, Maryland, New Hampshire, Rhode Island, Connecticut, New York, Virginia, North Carolina, and Pennsylvania. Add that to the lawsuits and the voices of citizens, journalists, and religious leaders, and Trump backs down. Could Congress have fixed this? Maybe but not likely. The House was to vote today on two immigration bills, a conservative version that puts more money toward Trump's border wall and a bipartisan compromise version that was still being written. Both bills make a pass at ending the child snatching, but neither is expected to make it past the president's desk if one of them even got that far. Divided Republicans are getting no help from Democrats who insist Trump could simply fix this with a flick of the wrist by signing that executive order, as he ultimately did. But there's reason to believe Trump would refuse to sign either Republican bill. Last week, he said he would not sign them, only to be corrected by White House staff nine hours later. And even if one of the bills were to pass, even if it addressed the separation of families, Trump administration policy would have stayed the same unless and until Trump or Sessions personally ordered it changed. Which brings us back to Attorney General Jeff Sessions and his Bible. In Romans 12, Paul writes that the purpose of government is to pursue good using love, not evil, as its guide. 
But when speaking to a conservative Christian group in Fort Wayne, Indiana, Jeff Sessions didn't read Romans 12. He read Romans 13. Obey the laws of the government because God has ordained the government for his purposes, recited Sessions, out of context, either because that was his intent or because of his ignorance. It is worth noting that the Apostle Paul was in jail when he wrote some of his letters, imprisoned by a government that had just murdered his Messiah. Romans 13 has been quoted at some interesting times in history. The Nazis used it a lot to justify their evil. In American history, the owners of African slaves had used it. Now, Jeff Sessions had used it, or misused it, on behalf of Donald Trump. Press Secretary Sarah Sanders said, it is very biblical to enforce the law. Pope Francis found a different passage from Deuteronomy that says, you are to love those who are foreigners, for you yourselves were foreigners. The U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops condemned the Trump administration immigration policies as immoral. One bishop proposed denying communion to Catholics who violated their faith by helping to carry out the Trump Sessions policies. But the fact that Jeff Sessions is a member of the United Methodist Church did not spare him from religious wrath. The United Methodist Church shamed Sessions' use of the Bible to defend this so-called immigration policy. And then Sessions' own church called on him to reverse those policies immediately. And then 600 leaders of Sessions' own church charged him with violating church law. It's a mostly symbolic vote, but it could lead to Sessions' expulsion by his own church. Quoting the United Methodist Secretary General, Christian sacred texts should never be used to justify policies that oppress or harm children or families. And he added, the Trump administration implemented these policies. They have the power to stop these horrific actions. The United Methodist Bishops Council said it was deeply disappointed and pained by the policy. Even conservative evangelicals have condemned this policy, including Franklin Graham, son of the recently passed Billy Graham. Even religious leaders who support Trump turned against him on this. New York Archbishop John Dolan said, you don't have to read the Bible to know that Jeff Sessions' policy is wrong. That goes against human decency, said Dolan, calling the policy unjust, unbiblical, and un-American. There could be no Bible passage, said Dolan, that would justify that. This whirlwind of news about Trump's child internment camps made many Americans feel as though they were going crazy this week. Salon.com's Bob Seska is here to assure us again that we are not. Bob? Thank you, Buzz. You aren't losing your mind. It's important to remind ourselves occasionally that observable reality remains the truth and that the centerpiece of Donald Trump's political strategy is to make you believe it's not him who's lying and contradicting himself. It's your lying eyes. It's your fault. On Wednesday, Trump signed an executive order ending his administration's policy of separating the children of migrants and asylum seekers from their parents at the border, then shipping them off separately, possibly never to be reunited again. The order comes less than 24 hours after we learned that babies as young as a few months were also being removed from their parents' guardianship and placed in brick-and-mortar euphemisms called tender care facilities. The order also comes 48 hours after we first heard the heartbreaking sounds of young children in one of the camps crying and calling for mommy and daddy. 
Internment camps for kids is what they are. No matter the outcome of this crisis, these camps will remain a harrowing dark chapter in our national history, residing in the same category as the Trail of Tears and the Japanese internment camps during World War II. On one hand, it's important that the policy appears to have been rescinded by this order. On the other hand, Trump's decision contradicts the public statements by Trump and other officials that a quote-unquote Democrat law is to blame for the separation policy and that a new law is the only way to end it. You are not going insane. At the risk of repeating often cited facts about the policy, we know for certain that this is entirely about a Trump administration zero-tolerance policy involving the arrest of every adult who illegally crosses the southern border. We also know that there is no law requiring family separation or what Buzz Burbank calls child snatching. And we know that Trump, Secretary Nielsen, and others have said over and over that it is the law, not a policy, defying reality. And we know that Trump, along with Secretary Nielsen and others, have said over and over that it's the law, not a policy, defying reality. Remarkably, Trump's executive order continues to demonize this invisible law. In the executive order, it states clearly, it is also the policy of this administration to maintain family unity, including by detaining alien families together where appropriate and consistent with law and available resources. It is unfortunate that Congress's failure to act and court orders have put the administration in the position of separating alien families to effectively enforce the law. They're once again retreating to the position that this non-existent law forced them to do something they didn't want to do, snatching the kids. Even though Sessions, Jeff Sessions, signed the policy and John Kelly went on television to ballyhoo it. Put another way, Trump is taking credit for saving the babies he himself endangered. Ivanka Trump, meanwhile, sent a grateful thank you note to her monstrous father. It read as follows. Thank you, POTUS, for taking critical action, ending family separation at our border. Congress must now act and find a lasting solution that is consistent with our shared values, the same values that so many come here seeking as they endeavor to create a better life for their families. Think about that. Trump and his henchmen enacted this horrifying policy, and now they're positioning themselves as the heroes who ended it. This is not unlike a hostage taker bragging about how he deserves a medal and a get-out-of-jail-free card for releasing his hostages. Only Trump isn't releasing anyone yet. Similarly, we all know that Trump's original gambit was to use the family separation policy as cynical leverage for ransom, with the ransom being money for his cockamamie wall. Naturally, Congress faced the choice of ending the policy while enabling Trump's increasingly despotic crimes against humanity or allowing it to continue. Thankfully, the congressional Democrats don't negotiate with terrorists. If you predicted that the executive order will still allow children to be separated from their parents, by the way, you win the internet today because, yes, the order doesn't rescind the zero-tolerance policy, nor does it end child internment. The salient passage in the order reads, quote, The secretary shall not, however, detain an alien family together when there is a concern that detention of an alien child with the child's alien parent will pose a risk to the child's welfare. This appears to be treacherously discretionary. It's possible that Secretary Nielsen will simply mandate that all children are in danger because their parents are considered criminals and potential killers for having crossed illegally. The order also potentially allows migrant families to be held indefinitely, 
awaiting Justice Department trials behind tens of thousands of other migrants. Making matters even worse, there aren't any mechanisms for reuniting families that have already been separated. As if all this wasn't soul-crushing enough, we can expect to hear Trump declare to his disciples, I save the children, and the bigoted red hat cultists who vocally supported the administration's crimes against humanity will cheer wildly for their shitty emancipator. You aren't insane. I'm Bob Seska for Buzz Burbank News and Comment. Thank you, Bob. Get more of him at Salon.com, The Daily Banner, and Tuesdays and Thursdays on The Bob Seska Show at RealmNetwork.com. Bob will have a fresh show this afternoon. There is no small irony that this week the U.S. pulled out of the United Nations Human Rights Council. The U.S. is no longer part of and no longer has a voice in the world's most important human rights organization. Our U.N. ambassador, Nikki Haley, said the council is not worthy of its name and that it's unfair to Israel, which is what this is all about. Critics point to other countries that make up the Human Rights Council, Afghanistan, China, Cuba, the Philippines, and Venezuela, for instance, all places where human rights violations run rampant. But the council also includes the United Kingdom of Britain and Northern Ireland, Switzerland, Spain, Germany, and Australia. And having a voice on that council was this country's opportunity to influence human rights around the world. If the UN's Human Rights Council is flawed, it is more so now without the United States at the table. The U.S. exit from the Human Rights Council marks the first time in its history that any country has left it. The U.S. now stands instead with Iran and North Korea among the leading nations that refuse to be part of that U.N. Council. Ambassador Haley complains the council has passed more resolutions lately against Israel than it has against Iran, Syria, and North Korea combined. She says the U.S. is bowing out because of, quote, hostility toward Israel. And it is a continuation of Trump separating the U.S. from the rest of the free world. And as some have observed, with the U.S. now breaking families apart and incarcerating babies, maybe the U.S. isn't worthy of a place on the Human Rights Council. In the midst of this week's outrage, the Russia investigation continued. That story, how Trump's trade war has already hurt you, and the return of the Space Force after this. More often these days, we're asked to pay for something we used to get free, the news. Now this news comes to you without a paywall, without corporate ownership, it's absolutely free. So please do your online shopping by using and bookmarking the Amazon link at buzzburbank.com. This production gets a little commission from Amazon when you do that, so it's very helpful to shop through that link for home, school, church, or office. Now, if you'd prefer not to use my Amazon link, please support this free newscast through the PayPal Donate button that's just beneath the Amazon button at buzzburbank.com. And thank you. September 15th. If special counsel Robert Mueller doesn't have a report on his findings by then, September 15th, he would likely wait until after the November election. And he doesn't want to do that. Mueller wants to be more careful than James Comey about interfering with an election, though. And Mueller reportedly would like to finish his obstruction of justice investigation sooner rather than later. To do that properly, he needs to interview the president. Mueller reportedly can have the obstruction case wrapped up three months after that sit-down if the sit-down happens. The collusion case, we are told, will take longer. But Trump's lawyers are still advising against that interview. Mueller has the power to subpoena, 
but that would be challenged in court by Trump's lawyers and drag all of this out even longer. Mueller is reportedly too practical to let that happen. Trump, on arrival back from North Korea, started huddling with his lawyers and others to derail the investigation and discredit the investigators in an all-out effort to avoid impeachment. We want to see if we can have the investigation and special counsel declared illegal and unauthorized, says Trump lawyer Rudy Giuliani. Trump's TV lawyer says he may ask Attorney General Sessions to appoint another special counsel to investigate the Russia investigation. Former House Speaker Newt Gingrich says he and other Trump supporters are, quote, prepared for war. Rudy Giuliani says he also expects to use last week's Inspector General report to blow up the Mueller probe. The Justice Department's own independent investigator, its Inspector General, published a report that seemed to have something for every political taste. The report properly criticized former FBI Director James Comey for being insubordinate with his public statements about the investigations of Hillary Clinton's emails. The report called out former FBI officials Peter Strzok and Lisa Page, who had exchanged personal anti-Trump texts on FBI phones. That was red meat for Trump and his supporters, who planned to remind us of Comey's actions at every turn. Trump said the report exonerated him, when in truth the report barely mentioned him at all because it wasn't about him. The report did, however, exonerate the investigation. The inspector general found that the Clinton email investigation was not affected by bias, that the FBI was right not to prosecute her, and that any election influence from the FBI was directed at hurting Hillary Clinton, not Donald Trump. You won't hear that on Fox News. You can barely hear it on the other channels. Agent Strzok, by the way, says he's willing to testify for any committee in Congress and to cooperate with any investigation and to do that without immunity. But Rudy Giuliani wants former FBI agent Peter Strzok in jail by the end of the week. Most importantly, the IG's report found no evidence of political influence in the Clinton email investigation itself, and it found that the investigation was not rigged for a specific outcome. In fact, the report says the investigation was based strictly on, quote, facts, the law, and past department practices. For all the discrediting, the inspector general says the FBI's investigation is legitimate. There's only one inmate in the VIP building for prisoners at the Northern Neck Regional Jail in Warsaw, Virginia. It's inmate number 45343, or as he's known on the outside, former Trump campaign manager Paul Manafort. It's where Manafort will live until his trial date for conspiracy against the United States and other charges. If that goes as it appears it will, Paul Manafort may never walk the streets of free man again. The jail is a two-hour car drive for Manafort's six lawyers who must continue to meet with him as they prepare for his trials. A closer jail, the D.C. jail, is considered too dangerous for an inmate like Manafort. Manafort's due in a Virginia federal court on July 24th. He starts a second trial in D.C. in mid-September. Manafort had to give up his wallet, his belt, and his necktie after a judge ordered him to jail after clear evidence that he and his Russian friend Konstantin Kalimnik had been tampering with those who would testify at Manafort's trial. Kalimnik is safely back in Russia. Manafort is in the jail once occupied by Michael Vick and by singer Chris Brown as they awaited their trials. And still, 
Manafort is clinging to his plea of not guilty, perhaps an unlikely victory in court or a pardon. Even under maximum pressure and for whatever reason, Manafort still isn't talking. But that does not appear to be the case for Trump lawyer Michael Cohen. It was at around the close of business on Friday we got word that Cohen was about ready to flip and testify for the Mueller investigation. The pressure on Cohen and his family has been almost unimaginable. CNN reports that Cohen has told his family and some friends he's willing to cooperate with investigators to ease that pressure. Those friends tell CNN that Cohen believes Trump and his people have turned their backs on Trump's personal lawyer. All of this may be a sign that Cohen is ready to talk now, or it could be a friendly reminder to Trump about the president's power to pardon. Cohen's been looking for new lawyers, having parted ways with those who stood by him when he refused to cooperate with the Russia probe. But also Friday, Cohen lost a court battle to silence Stormy Daniels' lawyer, Michael Avenatti. It was Cohen who used complex means to hide a hush money payment to the porn star after her alleged one-night stand with the married Donald Trump. With that defeat and the mounting pressure, Michael Cohen is still waiting for that call from the White House. In the meantime, he's reportedly ready to talk. With a cloud of scandal hanging over his last campaign, a normal president would be extra careful about how he conducts his re-election campaign. Trump is, as we are reminded at least once each day, far from normal. And he is anything but careful. The Associated Press reports that Trump's 2020 campaign is already occupied by former officials of Cambridge Analytica, the conservative dirty tricks factory that assisted Trump in his 2016 campaign. Although Cambridge Analytica created many Trump slogans, including lock her up, its focus was propagandizing social media with data it swiped from Facebook's users. Some of the old Cambridge gang now work at a place called Data Propria, which does the same kind of work. That new company is already employed by the Republican National Committee for the vote later this year. The company says it'll focus on data analysis this time and stay out of the head games. Quoting the head of Data Propria, not down the psychometric side of things. Trump operative Roger Stone already had the attention of the Mueller team. Stone freshened that interest last week when he admitted to something he hadn't told congressional investigators or Mueller when they interviewed him. In fact, Stone told investigators he hadn't met any Russians. But that was then. Stone has now confessed that he did meet with a man with a thick Russian accent who offered dirt on Hillary Clinton for the price of $2 million. You don't understand Donald Trump, said Stone, adding, he doesn't pay for anything. So Roger Stone says there was no deal with the Russian accent guy and therefore no collusion. But Stone, a longtime political confidant to Trump, was admitting that he had made an effort to get what appeared to be Russian dirt on Clinton. It happened just a few weeks after Trump campaign advisor George Papadopoulos bragged he could get Russian dirt on Hillary. And Stone's meeting came just two weeks before the meeting at Trump Tower with Paul Manafort, Jared Kushner, and Donald Trump Jr. to get Russian dirt on Hillary Clinton. Stone's accidental confession brings to 11 the number of Trump associates or campaign officials who've admitted having contact with at least one Russian during the election season and or the transition. 
the biggest blow yet to this besieged administration has come not at the federal level, but at the state level. The New York Attorney General's office has filed a lawsuit against the Donald J. Trump Foundation and its officers, Trump, Don Jr., son Eric, and daughter Ivanka. The lawsuit asks the court to shut down the fake charity, force it to repay the nearly $3 million it's misappropriated, and to ban the aforementioned Trumps from serving as officers in any nonprofit organizations in New York State ever again. And the New York Attorney General's office is referring those findings to the IRS and the Federal Election Commission to pursue criminal charges, if they so choose. The IRS is already looking into it. The lawsuit says the Donald J. Trump Foundation used donations it squeezed from campaign donors, used that money to settle lawsuits and to buy a painting of Donald Trump for Donald Trump. That's a violation of charity tax law, hence the forward to the IRS. The foundation was found to be an arm of the 2016 Trump campaign with then-campaign manager Corey Lewandowski managing the foundation's money. That in itself is illegal, a violation of campaign law, hence the forward to the FEC. Trump says he will fight the lawsuit and not settle, not cave, not fold. Just as he said about Trump University and ripping children away from their parents. While many here in the states debate whether or not Trump has technically launched a trade war, the rest of the world has decided it's a trade war. Since we last met, Trump imposed a 25% hike in trade tariffs on $50 billion worth of Chinese products. The week before, he'd imposed tariffs on our closest allies. All of those countries, friend and foe, plan to retaliate, taking it out on American pocketbooks and American jobs. As far as China is concerned, it's a trade war. Quoting China's Commerce Secretary, the United States has launched a trade war. There it is. In kind, the Chinese will also impose new tariffs on 1,100 things it imports from the U.S., seafood, farmed food, and cars among them. Beijing also says the deal to buy more U.S. agriculture products, well, that's now off, and that it will add new tariffs on medical equipment and solar panels later. While China may deserve to be punished for its theft of U.S. intellectual property, a trade war likely won't work. American farmers and other businesses will complain loudly when they lose business, and American consumers will complain loudly at the higher prices. There will be no such complaints in China, where farmers and workers will be unaffected. The pay is the same, as the Chinese government uses its considerable trade surplus to absorb the shock. China will never feel this. Chinese media says China is bored by Trump's unpredictability, calling the Trump administration capricious, rude, unreasonable, and mundane. And the country that features the Great Wall of China is now laughing at Trump with the newspaper comment, the wise man builds bridges, the fool builds walls. The Trump tariffs are already causing pain in this country. Shipments have already slowed at U.S. ports, air and sea. Prices for raw materials are already rising. Orders are being cut, investments are being delayed, and American farmers are already losing contracts. Canadian rail cars headed for the U.S. were ordered to return to the metals factory. 
Trump's revived sanctions on Iran have already driven up oil prices and therefore the price of gas at the pump. A stove factory in Tennessee has decided not to expand after all. A company that makes office cubicles says it'll pay an extra $50,000 a month for metals under Trump's tariffs. Trump is unraveling decades of hard work by Democrats and Republicans, which is what the voters say they wanted. They will likely cling to that desire until it starts showing up in their paychecks and on price tags. You've already been hit in your 401k. Stocks fell nearly 300 points on the news that Trump was escalating his trade war with China by threatening another new tariff, 10% on $200 billion worth of more Chinese goods. Trump says China faces these tariffs if it retaliates against what he started. The Senate, by the way, has voted to put back the sanctions that Trump had lifted from Chinese phone maker ZTE. The company was being punished by the U.S. for violating other sanctions and lying about those violations. ZTE phones are also banned from U.S. government work because of their extreme security risk. It remains a mystery why Trump wanted those particular sanctions lifted on that particular company in the first place. ZTE is considered a national security threat. Army, Navy, Marines, Coast Guard, Air Force, and Space Force. Our current commander-in-chief is ordering the armed forces, ordering them to add another branch, a sixth branch of the Pentagon. Defense Secretary James Mattis is on record as opposing this idea, citing the existence of the Air Force, the resources of NASA, and the bureaucracy of a new military branch on top of an already monstrous military bureaucracy. Trump says having a space force will be, quote, great, not only in terms of jobs and everything else, it's great for the psyche of our country. It won't happen overnight. It may not happen at all. It can't happen now because no preparations have been made, and it can't happen without congressional action to pay for Trump's space force. The conservative-led Supreme Court this week turned away two states' lawsuits over gerrymandering. Now, gerrymandering, again, is the redrawing of voting district boundaries in a way that favors one party over another. Cases from Maryland and Wisconsin were turned away by the Supreme Court by conservatives and liberals on the bench, including Elena Kagan. The court ruled it was the wrong case in the wrong place at the wrong time. A majority of the justices did approve giving the plaintiffs another chance in lower courts, but not in time for the 2018 elections. 2020, maybe. But the court's ruling does not affect the gerrymandering cases in Virginia, Texas, Michigan, Ohio, Alabama, and North Carolina. Democrats are still fighting those boundaries. But this week's Supreme Court decision dodged the question of gerrymandering, which is, in effect, a vote for the status quo. Most of the voter suppression in Kansas has occurred at the hands of its Secretary of State, Chris Kobach. This week, a federal judge ordered Kobach to go back to law school. The judge had just struck down as unconstitutional the law requiring people to show proof of citizenship in order to register to vote in Kansas. That law was pushed by Kobach, one of the country's leading voices for so-called voter ID laws. The judge found there is no credible evidence to support Kobach's claim of rampant voter fraud by non-citizens. The judge didn't mince words. She called it a xenophobic lie. The judge was also not impressed with Kobach's performance as a lawyer. The judge was so offended 
She found Kobach in contempt of court for his ignorance of state and federal laws, including the Voting Rights Act. And with that, she ordered him to return to law school for six more hours of education in those areas. Kansas proof of citizenship law had been written and defended by a man who doesn't know enough about the law to even be in a courtroom. Billionaire Michael Bloomberg announced yesterday he will spend $80 million this year helping Democrats win control of the House in the midterm election. And across the country, states are switching back from electronic voting to paper ballots to protect against hackers. Nearly two dozen states have switched back to paper for the first time since 2004, and more states are expected to fall in line all in time for the election that is now just four months away. We barely notice the mass shootings anymore. 17 people were shot in Trenton, New Jersey over the weekend at an overnight arts festival. The gunman was killed and nearly two dozen people injured during a fight between two neighborhoods. Southern California law enforcement have confiscated 553 guns from one man. The man is a convicted felon who kept 432 guns at his place and 31 more at a friend's house. The ATF had been called in to find out how and where the suspect got his 500-some guns. Now, to begin this next story, I'll read directly from a New York Times article by Danielle Ivory and Caitlin Dickerson. Dateline Big Spring, Texas, quoting the first sentences, On a recent rainy day, more than 400 sex offenders, gang members, and other inmates at the federal prison in this West Texas town weathered the storm by crowding into a three-story building. Two guards were on duty. One was a uniformed correctional officer, the other a health worker in civilian clothes pitching in because there were not enough regular officers. End quote. 400 inmates, one guard and a healthcare professional crowded into the same space at the same time in an emergency. This story from Times reporter Daniel Ivory and Caitlin Dickerson is about a dire shortage of prison guards nationwide. Secretaries and other support staff are frequently called upon to fill in as substitute guards with very little training and often no experience. They're especially called upon in an emergency, be it a thunderstorm or a riot. Dozens of prison workers from across the country told reporters that inmates are aware of the shortage of muscle and have become more brazen against the guards and more violent toward each other. Assaults on prison staff are up 8% in the past year. Trump's hiring freeze on prison personnel was signed four days into his administration. The Obama administration hired more than 2,600 new guards in its final two years. Last year's number under Trump was 372. Canada legalizes it. Incredibles indeed and flying toilets in the third and final segment up next. If you're finally ready to go wireless, then get the Heller Bluetooth earbuds from tweakedaudio.com. The Hellers are wireless to hook you up with your favorite songs, phone calls, and podcasts like this one. And the Hellers stay in your ears with five hours of use and 100 hours of standby time between USB charges. The Heller have a built-in mic, a storage pouch, and comfortable gels in three sizes. Tweaked Audio's wired earbuds come in a range of colors. You can even get buds in sets of two or three. And Tweaked Audio earbuds 
just sound better. You certainly can't beat the prices for this level of quality, guaranteed. And the shipping is free anywhere on the planet. And because everything does sound better on Tweaked Audio Earbuds, you can get an extra one-third off their already great prices if you check out with the code BBNC at TweakedAudio.com. Thank you for supporting this news through TweakedAudio.com, all my other great sponsors, and through the donate button at BuzzBurbank.com. Family first. Although I am loath to walk away from these crucial days in our nation's history, family does come first. This program is going on hiatus for the next two weeks. Next week, I'll be traveling to handle a family matter, and the following week includes Independence Day and, for me, other pressing responsibilities. I hope you will forgive and understand, and most importantly, be here when I return. I will, of course, be following every development with news updates on social media as warranted, and I will recap the biggest developments on my return. For what it's worth, this will be my first break from covering our current situation since the year began, and it's probably a good thing that I am being pulled away for a week or two. We all need to step away from this from time to time, even if we're loath to do so, because of the very thing that is the subject of this week's news. Family. The mega-mergers got even bigger this week as Comcast, which also owns NBC Universal, bought Europe's Sky TV. Comcast paid nearly $31 billion for what is effectively the European equivalent of DirecTV. Comcast is also a bidder to buy Rupert Murdoch's 21st Century Fox at $65 billion. But last night, rival buyer Disney offered up $71.3 billion, being the company more desperate for a streaming service. The winning bid gives control of Fox properties, including Hulu, FX, and the National Geographic Channel, Nat Geo. Murdoch will stick to newspapers, TV stations, and the Fox News Channel. As expected, AT&T this past week bought Time Warner for $85 billion, giving it control of Warner Brothers, HBO, and the Turner Network stations. Fewer companies are controlling more media. This program remains independent. A couple of big items this week about Apple's iPhones. First, Apple's testing a new feature that would make it harder for hackers and law enforcement to get your phone data. This new feature is called USB Restricted Mode, and it keeps the phone's USB port from being used for anything other than charging starting one hour after the device has been locked. Law enforcement is complaining loudly, but a court had already ruled that federal authorities don't have the authority to force Apple to make it possible to get past a user's security. The hackers have not complained. And Apple has announced another new feature, Next Generation 911. Starting this fall, 911 call centers will be able to locate you exactly, not just by the nearest cell tower. This requires special equipment, but many 911 centers already have that equipment. This new feature will be part of the upcoming iOS 12 series this fall. If you have to take any kind of powder with you when you travel by air, use small containers and or keep it in your checked luggage, not in your carry-on. That is the latest advice from the TSA, which says it will be screening powders more closely since they are also an ingredient in some explosives. And TSA says it will confiscate any container of powder in a carry-on that's about enough to fill a soda can, 12 ounces to be exact. That includes baby powder, bath powder, protein mixes, and even spices in large containers. Any powder. The TSA has already banned carry-on liquids of more than three ounces 
and it conducts extra screening on any electronic device larger than a cell phone. The Canadian flag is three broad vertical stripes. The center stripe is white between two wide red stripes. In the middle of the flag is a big red Canadian maple leaf. This week, some Canadians victory marched with a flag that temporarily replaced the maple leaf with a big red marijuana leaf. Because of what happened on Tuesday, Canada will, by the end of this summer, be the second nation on the planet to fully legalize marijuana. End of summer, maybe sooner. Pot was outlawed in Canada 90 years ago. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau, whose party introduced this legislation last year, said, it's been too easy for our kids to get marijuana and for criminals to reap the profits. That, said Trudeau, ends today. Canada has been pushing the U.S. to stop asking Canadians at the border if they've ever used marijuana and then barring entry to those who give honest affirmative answers. Not every plant that grows in nature is so kind. Take hogweed, but use gloves. Hogweed is native to Central and Southeast Asia. It never grew naturally in the U.S. until it was brought here as an ornamental plant early in the 20th century. But it's here, and with a warming climate, it's spreading. And it's dangerous. The sap of the hogweed contains chemicals that make a person more sensitive to sunlight. Skin exposed to hogweed and then to the sun can develop third-degree burns. There's blistering and scarring. You can go blind if it gets in your eyes. They just found a colony of some 40 plants of hogweed in Berryville, Virginia, with each plant producing hundreds of seeds that are carried on the wind. You should know this plant if you see it from its big white flowers and its thorns. Unlike similar looking plants, it has purple splotches and white hairs on its stalk if you happen to get that close. It's big and it's intimidating. Hogweed grows to between 7 and 14 feet tall and its leaves can be up to 5 feet wide. Not all weeds are good. Another week, another salmonella outbreak. This time, the source is surprising. A sugary breakfast cereal, Kellogg's Honey Smacks. Contaminated cereal has sickened 73 people in 31 states, according to the CDC. Two dozen people are in hospitals. So far, no one has died. The outbreak actually started in early March and now includes all packages of Honey Smacks, regardless of their size or Best Buy dates. You know the drill. Throw it out or take it back, but don't eat it. Last week, we learned of a new anti-abortion law in Arkansas that bans abortion by medication. On Monday, a federal judge issued a restraining order to keep that new Arkansas law from going into effect. The judge also predicted that the lawsuit brought by Planned Parenthood would succeed. There will, however, likely be appeals to this judge's decision. Detroit, we're number last for the second straight year in an annual ranking, Detroit is deemed to be the worst city in the U.S. in which to live, with nearby Flint, Michigan, in second place. Flint has the highest poverty level in the country at 44% and an unemployment rate of 10%, which is more than double, nearly triple, the national average. Also on this bottom 10 list, St. Louis is third worst, followed in order by Memphis, Cleveland, Wilmington, Delaware, Albany, Georgia, Springfield, Missouri, Baltimore, and Milwaukee. 
kids in my day weren't this well-behaved. A new CDC report shows that fewer high school students are doing drugs and fewer are having sex. The number of high school students having sex has dropped in the past decade from 48% to just under 40%. The percentage who had had four or more sexual partners fell from 15% to 10 Condom use among sexually active teens, however, is down from 62% to 54%. Now on drugs... The number of students using cocaine, heroin, meth, ecstasy, hallucinogens, or inhalants was down from 23% to 14% 10 years later. But the abuse of opioid prescriptions is up just as it is with adults. 14% of these young people say they have misused those pills. And perhaps an even greater health concern, nearly one in three teens feels hopeless or sad. That's up from 29% in 2007 to 32% last year, nearly one in three. The news itself can be disheartening, to be sure. A forecast issued this week says sea levels, driven by climate change, threaten U.S. coastal communities that include more than 300,000 homes. 311,000 homes could be surrounded with water in 30 years, which is about the length of the average home mortgage. Nearly 2.5 million homes by the end of the century. Florida's Tampa Bay region faces the greatest risk, but the threat includes a quarter million homes in New Jersey and 143,000 homes in New York. The cost of flood insurance is expected to rise along with the sea levels. Not quite a week ago, the recently passed physicist Stephen Hawking was remembered in a ceremony. And once his ashes were interred between the bodies of Sir Isaac Newton and Charles Darwin in London's Westminster Abbey, Hawking's voice was transmitted through space toward the nearest black hole. It's the same distinctive computerized voice of a man with a neurological disease who helped regular people understand black holes and the theory of relativity. Hawking always wanted to travel in space, but he never did. His words made it out there, accompanied by music from Greek composer Vangelis, who wrote the music for Chariots of Fire. Peggy has been to space many times. Peggy Whitson, in fact, has spent more time in space than any other American astronaut, nearly two years in all. Whitson also set the record for the most spacewalks by a woman, 10. Peggy Whitson came to NASA 40 years ago as a scientist. Seven years in, she started training as an astronaut, making her first trip to the International Space Station in 2008, where she would serve three long stints. She rose to the rank of commander and was NASA's first space station science officer. As chief of the astronaut corps, Whitson was both the first woman and the first non-military astronaut to ever hold that position. She came back down to Earth last year. She retired from NASA this past week. Him too? Sylvester Stallone is the subject of a sex crime allegation being investigated by the Los Angeles DA's office. The case was turned over to L.A. officials by the Santa Monica Police Department. Stallone's lawyer denies the charge from a woman he says had a consensual relationship with the actor in the 1980s. And him too? TV host Chris Hardwick has been implicated by an ex-girlfriend in sexual and emotional abuse. Hardwick denies the charges. He is suspended from his talking shows on AMC. NBC is taking a wait-and-see approach after hiring Hardwick to host a game show this fall that doesn't start production for another two months.
Bill Cosby has fired his legal team ahead of his sentencing for sexual assault. He's hired a new solo attorney to see him through that September 24th court date. The 80-year-old and nearly blind Cosby faces up to 10 years in prison. It was the biggest opening ever for an animated movie. Incredibles 2 opened this week with a staggering $180 million in ticket sales in the U.S. and Canada. That's nearly 30% more money than the studio expected to make on that opening. Worldwide, it made nearly a third of a billion dollars. Audiences are scoring the movie with an A+. Shrek the Third was the previous animated record holder with just over $150 million. Ocean's 8 also had a good opening this week at nearly $20 million. For previews, theaters, showtimes, and tickets, please click through my Fandango link at buzzburbank.com. Officials are still investigating the frightening roller coaster mishap in Daytona Beach a week ago tonight. When fire and rescue arrived, they found the sandblaster coaster dangling from its track and two previously seat-belted passengers on the ground 34 feet below. The ride had just been inspected that day and was found to meet state standards. Should you find yourself in Overland Park, Kansas, you might visit the Tomahawk Ridge Community Center to see the wonderful art on display there. People like to have wedding receptions there because it's such a nice atmosphere. But please keep an eye on your kids. The surveillance video shows a boy hugging a sculpture, causing it to fall over and crash. The boy was not hurt. The statue was hurt badly. Quoting the mother, this glass mosaic torso is laying on the ground. The city and its insurance company want the boy's parents to pay for the damage. $132,000. You might expect the parents to be furious with their son, but you'd be wrong. Who's yelling at my son? Asked the boy's mother, who says, quote, it's in the main walkway. No plexiglass, not protected, not held down, no border around it. She says there wasn't even a don't touch sign. The boy's mother says she will contact her insurance agent to see if her homeowner's policy covers a thing like this. Mysteries are fun until somebody solves them. The Montana Dogman mystery has been solved. A creature that appeared to be neither wolf nor dog has been identified after a DNA test. But there were wild theories about what it might be in the meantime. As it turns out, it's a wolf. It is a wolf, a gray wolf. And on closer inspection, not much different than the 900 other gray wolves that roam the northern Rockies of Montana. Mystery solved. Fun's over. In Minnesota, someone brought an abandoned baby kitty into the rescue center. That someone had found the tiny kitten in a parking lot and took it home because it was so incredibly cute. But then that someone heard a meow that wasn't like that of other cats. So they took the kitten to Minnesota's Wildlife Rehabilitation Center to see what it might be. The baby kitty was actually a young bobcat. The baby bobcat was given fluids for dehydration and passed along to a rehabber who will coach it back into the wild when it's ready. Near Athens, Georgia, a full-sized bobcat was strangled to death by a grandmother who had been attacked by the animal, which turned out to be rabid. Dee Dee Phillips grabbed the rabid bobcat by the throat and kept squeezing. She dared not scream for fear it would draw her young granddaughter out of the house and then become a victim herself. But Grandma Dee Dee's son was there in a flash with a knife and a gun. He never used the gun, but he did use the knife to stab the animal four or five times. Spiders. 
A college student in England is so afraid of them, she ordered a food delivery from KFC, hoping the delivery driver would kill the spider in her midst. The delivery service dispatcher warned the young woman, quote, the driver may be more afraid of spiders than you. When Joe arrived with a box of fried chicken, she implored him, please, you have to help me. I only ordered the food for your help. Joe agreed, climbed onto a chair, and swatted at the spider, knocking it to the ground. He captured the arachnid and flushed it down the toilet. Quoting the spider-phobic student, I can't believe the plan actually worked. But she says she was afraid to use the toilet for the rest of the day. Spiders go away. Arachnophobia is here to stay. Toilets flew through the air in Commerce City, Colorado on a mighty wind. No one got hurt. The sun was shining when a sudden gust of wind arrived, knocking down a party tent and prompting parents to shield their children from flying debris, including the liquids that were dribbling from those flying toilets. There's just no accounting for people's tastes. In New Zealand, a man has been arrested for stealing human toes from a dead body exhibit in Auckland. In other news, there's a world-traveling dead body exhibit. The toes are valued at $5,500 per toe. In still more news, toes apparently have cash value. And finally, there's a 12-year-old boy in Nova Scotia who does not like salads. He dislikes salads so much, he apparently considers being served one an emergency. The boy called 911 to report that his parental unit was trying to make him eat that green leafy stuff. When the Royal Canadian Mounted Police hadn't arrived as quickly as the boy thought they should, he called 911 again. Responding officers warned again about the misuse of 911, but admitted some of them don't like salads either. I'm Buzz Burbank. Thank you for listening and supporting my sponsors at buzzburbank.com. I'll be back July 12th with another Buzz Burbank News and Comments. The preceding presentation was brought to you by The Realm Network.